In the coming days, church, I have something I want to share with you. I want to give you just a little bit of it today because I think it's fitting for this day. It's a a somewhat new or refreshed or revised approach to what we call the mission and vision of the church. That's a phrase used a lot, certainly in church life. What's the mission and vision? Uh, The pastoral team has been discussing this and We've thrown out some ideas, and, and uh, if, you, if you'll allow me just a minute, I'm going to do what we call north wind, the idea. North, let me explain what north winding is. That means the, the breeze is just kind of blowing it through today, and uh, those of you who, who deal with groups of people that you have to communicate to, you know that you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, and, that's, and then you hope about 50% of them got it, which is kind of the way it, you know, it often works. Well, so today is just the first of that step, just, just north winding. It also means that it's not all totally developed yet, but we just want to blow the idea through, through the house today, and then that way when we actually present it more formally, it won't be new to you. But it goes like this. When we think of missions, most of us think of serving overseas. Maybe your mind goes immediately to Africa or Central America or, or, or wherever. Or you think of being a missionary or serving in the kingdom of God in another country. Missions certainly includes that and always should. But in actuality, sort of the way we have been looking at this recently, missions is much more than that in, in the local church. Let me sort of state it simply through the lens that we, we are considering right now, and that is this. Our vision is what we see. Our mission is what we do. Would you say that with me? Our vision. Which again includes foreign missions. Don't, please don't think that we are abandoning anything about foreign missions. We're not. But it's become clear that the mission of Bethesda is far more than simply foreign missions. In fact, there's quite a list of things that we do. Can you put that back up and leave it up just just for a second, please, projection? Uh, If this is what we do, there's a lot of things that we do that are our mission. It's what we believe God's called us uh, to do. Most of us know of our undying commitment to the, and loyalty to the Evans family and to the work of Light of Life International led by Stephen Evans. I know you know how strongly we feel about supporting the Fort Worth Teen Challenge under the leadership of, of Larry Adley. All that is, is missions. Most of you also know that Bethesda is home to worship services in Spanish, French, Swahili, Kenyawanda, and Burmese. It has become our mission, our, our what we do, to welcome these people groups to be part of our fellowship. And, and they're not guests here. Uh, they pay tithes, they, they are invested in the fellowship, they are part of us, they receive pastoral care. Uh, they are Bethesda as much as you and I are. Now, we've learned some things in this process. One thing is this, excuse me. We've learned that if you're going to raise diversity, you have to risk division. That's just the way it works. But that's a risk we're willing to take because we believe in the sight of God, in the kingdom of God, in light of heaven, that it's the right thing to do. But if any time you're going to raise the, um, uh, the face of something or you're going to raise the value of something, if you raise diversity, which we are clearly 
doing and feel a distinctive call of God to do in this house, you have to risk division and then trust God with that. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that makes me feel a little better. I just need to know you're awake. On this day, well, we're going to pray for educators at the close of the service in, in just a few minutes. Um, and we have so many of our faculty and staff from uh, Bethesda Child Development Center, Bethesda Christian School here with us today. We will acknowledge that a little later. We have to say that having and supporting the educational ministries of this house is also our mission. It's what we do. In fact, we do it a lot. We do it Monday through Friday, and then there's other stuff that takes place on the weekend quite often. It's what we have been as Bethesda, the house of Bethesda, called to do. Those of you who were around back when Becky and I first got here in 1978, 1979, wonderful people of God who were, at that time, leaders of this fellowship, were meeting over and over and over again in this room right across the hall, simply to seek the Lord and, and asking God to let us see give us vision to see what he would have us see about reaching our community. Lord, let us see the need that is, that is before us. And then Bethesda diligently prayed to determine after having seen the need, seen what we should respond to, what are we called to do? And under the leadership of our our beloved Pastor Des Evans, our mission was solidified with regard to educational ministries. Now, okay, so what's different about that? What's different is, I don't know that we've ever thought of our educational ministries as, as missions, but we, see, we are beginning to see it is, falls in line with that. It, it is what we do. Now, something else I think it's important to talk about here is, I, so while I have your ear on this, uh, our vision and mission at Bethesda may not be the same as any other church around or, or other church, uh, churches around us. And guess what, church? That's okay. That's okay. Now, it's not unusual for someone to come knocking on my door and say, they want to tell me what other churches are doing, and they're doing, did you know so-and-so's doing this, and they're doing this really well, and they're having great success, and la, 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 la. And I go, you know why I respond? Hallelujah. It's all advancing the kingdom of God. And if they're responding to the call of God for them, what God has called them to be and God has called them to do, how can we do anything but lift our voice and say, God be praised? And then God, give us grace to continue to walk out what you have called us to do. We just need to be sure that we're remaining faithful to the call of God on our lives to the call of God on our, our church, to the call of God on this body of believers, and do it for the glory of the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Vision and mission. We'll have more to say about it later, but I just felt a little nudge in my heart. This was a good day to begin to sort of north wind the idea, and so consider yourself north-winded, whatever that means. But I'm also here this morning to help us all broaden our understanding of missions, not only for us as a church, but for each of us as individuals. And what I really want to do is to make sure that everyone here, those who are willing to listen to me today, those who have ears to hear, you that when you walk out of here today, you are not confused at all about the fact that everywhere you go, Sunday through Saturday is your mission field. 
everywhere you go. That is your mission field. It's what God in his graciousness, in his goodness to you, has called you to do. Uh, why is all this on my heart today? Well, because I went through the week that I went through, and I believe that in their own way, my mom and dad understood their mission field. They exampled that for myself and my, and my sister. That's why I've been reflecting on this all week. It appears as though somehow, though, particularly in this day and age, in this country, for many people, church has become this place where we, we come and we just make sure we get fed. That's what so many, it, it just turns inward. That come and feed ourselves. Make sure we, that's what church is. I walk in and it's all about, well, I feel good about it. Well, I like the music. Well, I like the sermon. Well, I like who's sitting next to me. Come and make sure that we get fed. And I know that it's very easy to make uh, make church simply this place that I, I go to, to satisfy my needs and my desires. But I wish God would give me grace today to flip the switch on that. I want us to see something different because church, there is still a world of people out there that are lost and dying. Oh, somebody's got to hear me today. There's still a world of people in Fort Worth, Texas, in our area. They are lost and dying without a savior. And we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And in this year where our theme is wake us up, would you say it? I'm praying that we wake up to the understanding that we cannot, we must not, we absolutely cannot become so consumed with just feeding ourselves and even tending to just others who are in our circles here at church, our own flock, to the point that we have nothing but an inward myopic focus. God help us. And that we forget about the lost sheep and the one for which we are to leave the 90 and nine and go after. So to biblically approach this subject this morning, I'm gonna ask that you go with me to that very familiar parable in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus begins to tell the crowd this parable about the sower. Right away, he introduces the main and pretty much the primary or only character, which is the farmer, who he says, this farmer scattered seeds across the field. Now, you you all remember the story. I I know you've read it many times. Some seed fell on the path and birds came along, snatched it up. Some seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock and the plants sprouted up quickly Uh, But they died just as quickly because they had no roots to them at all. Some seed fell among thorns that grew up and and choked out uh, the the tender plant. The the thorns choked it out. But then there was some seed that fell on good soil and it produced a crop. And Jesus tells this story, this parable. And when he gets all done, his disciples did what they often did. They kind of went, what? What? I'm sorry, what? So we're going to pick it up here in Matthew 13, starting about verse 18. And we see Jesus setting his disciples down to basically say, bless your heart. Let me tell you what I meant, because they clearly didn't understand. Now, when we read this, 
I know that most often when you hear this parable preached, it is spoken of from a giving perspective. I've heard, like you, many, many sermons. In fact, almost every time I've heard it preached, most times I've heard it preached, it had to do with giving, that you're going to sow seed, and it's going to fall on good soil, and it's going to bring a return 30, 60, or 100-fold. Now, I'm not denying that that, uh, that that is an application to this. It could, it could well be. But I also feel the responsibility to be sure to point out to you that that is not the context of the story. It's not. The context is not money, nor is it about money. It's about the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So let's look at it. Jesus said, he's told the story to the crowd, now he's explaining to the disciples. Matthew 13, verse 18. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. And then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. I find it interesting that Jesus became, he brought, he brought a great specificity to it at that, at that moment. Those who hear God's word, but it's crowded out by the worries of this life, and specifically, it's almost as if he's saying, the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So this one seed sees a crop yielding 30, 60, or 100 times that which was sown, but you've got to remember, a lot of seed was scattered. Uh, you know, I would have loved to have done the illustrated sermon thing here today, and I was, but I don't think the facilities department would be pleased. I was going to throw seeds everywhere, but then I really thought I'd slip and fall on it, and that was my biggest worry. So what are we to take from that today? What does it mean to us? What's it saying to you and to me today? Well, I think as believers... We can become so concerned with making sure that our seed is falling on the right soil because maybe you know this parable and it makes you go, oh, I got to be sure I plant on on this soil and that I don't try to put it in, in the wrong place. We can become so concerned about that that what we do, the net result is that we simply stop the process of scattering the seed everywhere. Let us see clearly from the word of God today that the farmer was scattering the seed. This parable of Jesus implies implies lots of seed scattering. I need uh, Ron Schaefer and I need um, Pastor Brent. Ron, you're gonna have to be a lot faster than that. I'm gonna do a little experiment. I wasn't gonna do one person, but Ron's gonna represent the balcony. I'm gonna tell something to Brent. I'm telling essentially, let's assume I'm telling one person because it's one person for the lower floor, one person for the balcony. He's going to tell one person and then that one person is going to tell 
one person. You can't tell more than one. Now, I know it's going to be uh, probably distracting to me to watch this being filtered through the congregation, but there's a point here. So I'm going to tell this to him, and he's going to tell whoever he chooses. He can go wherever he wants to go and tell one person, and then once you hear it, you're going to tell one person. You got, you got it? You're supposed to say, got it. Give him a good hand, please. <clears throat> you only tell one. And then you don't stop it. Then you tell one person. That means that somebody's going to probably get up and step across the aisle, and we're going to find that acceptable today, okay? Because uh, we'll see how far this goes. So where do you fit in this story? And where do I fit in this story? In this story, you and I... We're not the seed. We're not the soil. You and I are not the rocks or the weeds or anything else uh, mentioned here. You know what you and I are? You are the farmer. I am the farmer. Guess what? We are farmers. Who did that? Raise your hand. Who was that? I was going to be so disappointed if somebody didn't do that. We are farmers. I'll see you. So you've, you've watched it. You know it. Hang on to that. You're going to need that again in a few minutes, okay? What's a farmer? Well, many of you know my wife was raised on a farm. Her dad was a great farmer. But in context of what's being said in Scripture today, what is a farmer? A farmer is a witness. Say that. A, f- a farmer is someone who says, I have done this before. I've sown seed before. I have witnessed a crop come up before. And I've even tasted the fruit, and the fruit is good. And because it's so good, guess what? I'm going to sow more seed. I'm going to sow and scatter more seed. Why? Because I want you to taste the fruit that I've tasted before. Therefore, the farmer is essentially a witness. Now, where do we see this idea of a witness in Scripture? You and I love to read Acts chapter 2 where we read of the tongues of fire that sat upon each of them in the upper room and they spoke in other languages. But when you then back up uh, to the first chapter of Acts, you'll read where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If it's in yellow, you're supposed to read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Everybody's supposed to read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the first thing mentioned about receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, the first evidence basically of it, and that's a dangerous way to to frame it, is that you will become a witness. How many know I'm telling you the truth today? And the farmer has great confidence in sowing the seed because the farmer knows the outcome come. He knows how good the fruit tastes. And so that's why he wants to scatter more seed. Therefore, when it comes to the gospel, 
You and I are witnesses of how good the fruit is. The choir sang it this morning, witnesses of the goodness and the mercy of God. Did you enjoy that? Boy, I did. How many are witnesses today to the goodness of God? Let me see. How many are witnesses today to the mercy of God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we want to become sowers of seed. But here's why I'm it's where I'm very concerned about the body of Christ. Because in many ways, we have become more like more feeders than farmers because of our inward focus. We're more concerned about uh, consuming the goodness of God, aren't we? If we're honest, we, we're really good at receiving the goodness of God. We're really good in looking for the mercy of God. And, and we love sermons about God doing good things for me. And we will, can, this room can get very excited when we talk about God fighting my battles and fixing my issues and overcoming my, my shortcomings. And let me say it loud and clear. I vote yes on receiving the goodness of God. I need it every day of my life. But we are farmers. <laughs> Folks, that was pathetic. That was just pathetic. <laughs> We're farmers and we are seed scatterers. Can I get an amen to that? It's okay to receive God's goodness. Even the farmer partakes of his own fruit. But... The farmer is just as obsessed with sowing seed as he is consuming the fruit. Think about it. If we're not careful, we end up listening to maybe this sermon today from Bethesda, and then we'll go home and we'll find six others to consume, and we'll consume, and we'll consume, and we'll consume, when you could take that time scattering seed. But we'll consume and we'll consume. But we're called to be farmers as much as we are feeders. And God forbid that we eat all the fruit and never scatter the seed. We need to be farmers. We need to be seed scatterers. And you know what happens when we do that? What happens, the byproduct of that is this, we will become less about whining and more about witnessing. Oh, Pastor Dan, encourage yourself in the Lord today. They're not doing it. Am I telling you the truth? We'll become less about whining when we do that and more about witnessing. <clears throat> when you're driving down the road and you see a truck, do you know how to tell if it's a farmer's truck or not? Now, Becky would know. Do you know how to tell if it's a farmer's truck or not? First of all, farmer's trucks are always dirty, always. But the real way you can be sure if it's a farmer's truck is if they have a pair of those rubber boots turned upside down with mud all over them, and they're somewhere in, in the back of the truck. You know why they have those? It's because a farmer knows that at any given time, he's probably going to have to get out and walk through some stuff. And it's going to be dirty. Bethesda, sometimes I wonder, have we become so good at being Christians? Have we so mastered the Christian culture that we don't get dirty anymore, that we know how to get dirty. Maybe we no longer even know what it is to get out into the, the fields, God forbid. Those of you who were around years ago will remember the Lanny Wolf Trio, uh, probably the 70s. He wrote a song, My House is Full, But My Fields Are Empty. Very poignant song. And I have to ask, is that where the church is today? 
that we can come to the house of the Lord, but we, but we don't know how to get out in, into the, the fields. So many of us have a life now where everyone you know and everyone you associate with is a Christian, as if that's the goal. And some of us have forgotten how to get our hands dirty. A farmer knows that at any given moment, he may have to get on those boots and trample out in where the pigs are, where the cows have been, and trample on some manure. Because when you start scattering seed, and when you start spreading the gospel, when you make a conscious decision that you're going to be active, an active farmer and a seed scatterer, guess what? Things can get messy. And they get messy in a hurry. And you may have to get down on your hands and knees and dig a hole to plant the seed and cover it up and get your hands even dirtier. That could very well be why in Ephesians 6, it speaks of the full armor of God. And one of those things is that our feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. There's something about spreading the gospel that simply gets us dirty. Jesus himself was known as the guy going to the homes of people that it was not, were not approved of by the Pharisees and Sadducees. They didn't like it. But you know what Jesus was doing? He was getting his boots on because we are farmers. Just stop. It's getting worse. <laughs> Rehearsal will be Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. There's the farmer, there's the technique. This passage that we've read in Matthew 13 presents three techniques in the way we take the seed of the gospel into the world. I think I'll mention it with just a couple of them. Number one, we must scatter the seed. Matthew 13, when he's, Jesus was telling the story to the crowd, he said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds, and then he said, as he scattered them. Scattering means the seeds going everywhere. Everywhere. Just going everywhere. Some might fall on rocks. Some might fall on weeds. Some might land on fertile soil. And the reason the farmer can be so generous in scattering seed is because he knows there's an endless supply of it. He knows there's an abundance of seed. He will never run out of seed. You know why? The seed is the gospel of Jesus. The seed is the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and resurrected so that we could live a victorious life and spend eternity in heaven. That will never run out. Somebody say, thank God. And we know this, the word of God will never return void. We have that promise. So there's nothing to keep us from freely scattering the seed. And where does that seed come from? Seed comes from fruit. Let's go to the fruit verse of Galatians, of Galatians chapter 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Why don't you say it with me? Love. So when you're living a life with the overflow of the fruit of the Spirit, guess what? You are automatically scattering seed. 
Guess what is in every single joyous moment that you live? Seed. Seed is there. When you live a life of kindness in an unkind world, you're scattering seed. Well, but I don't have my tracks in my hand. I, don't, I, I forgot to mention the four spiritual laws. No. When you exi- are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, you're scattering seed. You're throwing it everywhere. Every day, in every way, we are seed scatters. It's your mission, Sunday through Saturday. You know, when we think of the word Pentecost today, most of us think of the book of Acts, signs, wonders, miracles. But if you were to ask an Old Testament Israelite what he thought of when he heard the word Pentecost, he would obviously not have said any of those things. He would say harvest. Because Pentecost was also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest. So as Christians, we certainly do need to produce fruit. We certainly do need to evangelize the world, and it's all true. Hear me, church. But do you know what you are to expect when you are a person who begins to produce fruit? What are you to expect? Because the fruit does not exist to live for itself. Sometimes I wonder what people, people think like producing fruit of the Spirit is an end in and of itself. Do you, do you understand what this means? It means that we are a people who are willing to be consumed. And that means that at times you're going to be used by others and cast aside because you're going to be consumed. When you bear fruit, it's not just so that you can say, I bear fruit. There's purpose behind it. There's a reason behind it. You're to feed others with the fruit that is being produced within you. And feeding others sometimes gets messy, and it's not comfortable, and it will, it will hurt your feelings, and things will happen where you don't feel appreciated, and where you're, where you're hurt and tossed aside because they're eating of the fruit that you're producing, the fruit of the Spirit within you. And it means that sometimes little pesky insects will come and feed off the fruit that you're trying to grow. In fact, you probably will never even have pests until you decide to grow something. You know why you have haters in your life? It's because you decided to grow something. The little pests got in there. The little insects got in there, and they saw there's some fruit being produced here. My goodness, that's tasty. And you've got to deal with those pesky little things. You know why people are picking on you? It's because you have fruit. That's why. When you have fruit, you get pests. That's the way it works. And as long as you are simply a consumer, the devil has no issue with you. He'll make sure nobody bothering you. Nobody's coming to even eat the fruit. As long as you're just a consumer. If you've decided, I'm going to be a consumer Christian. But the moment you decide to be one who's willing to be consumed, the devil will say, he will announce it in hell. We got to go get him. We got to go get her. 
Because let me tell you something the devil knows. He knows that one can set a thousand to flight and two can send 10,000 to flight. And if you feel used this morning, I've come to encourage you today with the phrase. And I, I know you're always there to give compassion to other people. I know you're the one always giving out and you're the one always supplying for everybody else or at least it, it feels that way. And yet when you need a shoulder to cry on, there's no one to be found. I have a phrase to give you today that you should at least say in your heart. I don't recommend that you say it to anybody else out loud, but in your heart, when you're feeling that way, used, abused, taken advantage of, everybody's eating what you have, then here's what you should say to them. Eat of me. Yes, the fruit I have produced is to be consumed. And do you know what? Listen, listen, listen. It's the same thing Jesus said at the Last Supper when he took bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. My responsibility in ministry is not simply to produce fruit. It is for you to eat the fruit that I produce. So if you want to mock me, mock me. If you want to criticize me, criticize me. In fact, you may think that you're failing, but I want to tell you something. You're not failing, dear friend. No, the fruit you have produced is being consumed, and it's in so doing, you are pointing other people to Christ. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. In other words, I received truth and I then turned around and I scattered, scattered it, throwing it wherever. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. The second technique is we must plant the seed. First Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted the seed in your hearts. And Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting, Paul says, or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed to grow. That's what matters. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work, for we are both God's workers. Look at the variety of ways God uses us. I know this isn't new to you. Maybe the person that you're sitting next to on an airplane has already heard the gospel and your job sitting next to them is just to water it a little bit. I know you would like to present the Roman road to them and you would like for them to respond yes when you ask to lead them in the sinner's prayer and if that happens, God be praised. But it could be that your job is just to water it a little bit. There will be other people God will bring across your path whereby you are called to be the planter. Now what's the difference between a scatterer and a planter? A scatterer is reaching into the bag of seed and just throwing it out there. Throwing it out. Some will take it. Some will not. I don't really care. I'm just scattering it. Scatter. Every pastor I know, everyone who stands in the pulpit knows exactly. I stand here week after week before you and I'm giving seed. I'm throwing out seeds. Some are falling asleep. Some are playing games on their phone and they're not paying attention whatsoever. They get up and they walk in. I know that. I'm just 
scattering the seed. At the same time, people will come after service. Some people will come up weeping, and something has happened within them. Some people are going to be joyous at work, and some people will hate you because of it. Some people will love you because of it. But then God puts some people in your path whereby he's calling you to get your boots on, get on your hands and knees, put your hands in the mud, dig a hole, plant a seed in their heart, carefully cover it up, put some water on it, and then go away. That's your job. Come back tomorrow and put some more water on it, and then walk away. Come back the next day, oh, there's a little weed. Let me, let me pluck that little weed up out of the way. There are just some people that God is calling you to have a far greater impact on their growth. So what's the difference in planting and scattering? Planting is to one, scattering is to many. Planting is to one, scattering is to many. Scattering is a lifestyle. You scatter God's truth by the way you live, not so much by the words that you say. Planting is a life cycle. It's a process. It's a journey. Planting happens over a period of time. Scattering happens all the time. By the time you get home today, you should have scattered some seed. Scattering is, is a delivery method. Planting is a discipleship method. So, Pastor Dan, what are we supposed to do? Both. I take it from the words, the words of Jesus, first in Mark 16. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's scattering. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Some will receive it, some will not. And then also then Jesus said in Matthew 28, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And when I consider the things that keep us from sharing the gospel, I often wonder what stands in our way. Sometimes I think it's the pressure we put on ourselves to, that we have to explain everything. Pastor, I don't witness. I just don't feel qualified. I don't know the Bible well enough. I don't, I'm afraid I'm gonna be asked a question and look like a fool. Um, and so, you know what I've done? I just don't scatter anymore. I want to flip the switch on that. Sometimes we almost talk as if we have to justify the gospel. Like, you've got to have every answer for everything. Let me just tell you this. The seed does not need your help. You're just the farmer. The seed does not need your help. You just plant the seed and then watch God begin to work. Sometimes you scatter. Sometimes you plant. Sometimes you water. But be a farmer. Don't sing it. Don't sing. I can't take it again. My last point is the soil. If you're going to be a farmer, you have to understand the soil. One seed fell on the path. One seed fell on the rocks. One seed fell on the weeds. One seed fell on good soil. But all four have something in common. The seed fell. The seed fell. I'm told that in research there's always an independent variable and a dependent variable. The independent variable never changes. The dependent variable does change. In this story, the independent variable is the seed. It doesn't change. Can we agree that the Word of God does not change? What matters is where the seed falls. The soil is the dependent variable. So when we go to share the gospel, 
Why do we become somewhat obsessed in making sure it all goes perfectly, like we're nervous that it's gotta go perfectly? Can I just say to all of us today, the soil is not up to you. It's not up to you. The only thing that's up to you is the scattering of the seed. That's what you are called to be faithful to. The result of that is not yours to control or yours to even worry about. It's not your issue. It's not even up to you to make sure the seed grows. That's not up to you, according to what Jesus has given us in this parable. Paul made it clear, some plant, some water, but only God can make it grow. Is there an amen to that? When you go to present the gospel, you don't need to pray for the seed. You pray for the soil. You pray every day that God would bring someone into your proximity whose soil has been cultivated, somebody else has done that job, and the soil is ready for the deposit of seed that you happen to have. And your commitment to the Lord looks like this. Lord, if you'll bring me good soil, I'll plant the seed. You ought to wake up every morning. If you don't know what to pray, pray that. Lord, bring good soil across my path today, and I will promise you I will plant the seed. Stop worrying about the soil. It's not your responsibility. You just sow the seed and let God do his divine work. Ecclesiastes 3 makes a, uh, makes a statement. It says, God has set eternity in the heart of every human. That's something you need to always remember. When you're sitting next to someone on a plane, when you're bumping into someone, you need to know something about them. And you look at them, you ought to be able to say, you know what? God has set eternity into the heart of, the heart of that person. So when you go to plant the seed in the soil, there, there's a confidence, church, that you can to know God's already planted eternity within their, within their heart. God is cultivating the soil. That's already happening. I don't care what they're giving you on the outside. I don't care about the attitude or the demeanor or their posture or their politics. Or their, that doesn't matter. What matters is it's God who has, who, who is, who has planted eternity within them. There are very few people walking on this planet today who have not thought about the hereafter. Very few people who have never even given any guard whatsoever to eternity. They know it's coming. But you need to remember as you're talking to that person, God has put a little bit of miracle grow in every person's heart. It's just waiting on you to plant the seed. That's what your job is. And that's exactly what our educators are gonna be doing every day of the school year. Educators, I know you're all over the sanctuary this morning. You're going to scatter, and we thank you for that. You're going to plant, and oh, how we bless you for that. Some days you're going to be watering, and then you're going to sit back and let God do his work. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.